from the MZ Studios Dallas Virtual Studios in Cyberspace. This is Deconstructing Dallas. Greetings, everyone. It's your host, Ryan Trimble, enjoying what appears to be a day that is clearing up, a little sunshine peeking through the clouds. Joined today by a man who always has a sunny disposition. He, of course, Sean Williams. Sean, good day, sir. Good day. Um, you know, let me tell you why I got this sunny disposition line. It's because I know sometime soon, for the first time in about 14 months, yes, I will be able to give you some dap and a bro hug. I know it's coming. I'm looking forward to the bro hug, sir. Can't wait. Can't so wait. These are good times, and these are reasons to have that sunny disposition. How's it going? Man, it's going great. It is uh, uh, It is a sunny day. It's a little quiet here in the guest bedroom. Sesame Street is not on. The kids are <laughs> uh, back in school. But as I told my neighbor, if you see me sitting alone watching, you know, Wild Kratz or Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood or something, just maybe, you know, check in on me. I mean, I would have to think that it's going to, it's a slight adjustment, right? It's, it's a massive adjustment and, uh, you know, we're handling it to stride. You know how, what I've done, Sean, here's what I've done. I've dove in deep into gratitude. I'm going to have to order another box of cards here pretty quick because I've written so many handwritten notes. Well, that's good because my, my concern is for you and Lauren, you know. <laughs> Tabitha and Tate, I'm sure, are probably doing cartwheels out there, but you know, I worry about you guys. They're rocking, man. They are rocking. Uh, the, the teachers at our our preschool sent a, a picture of Tate today, and he was he was noshing on a muffin. He had his berries <laughs> out. He's just crushing it. It's like his own training table at school there. So uh, he is he's day two into his schooling adventure and loving every minute of it. The teachers love him, and so. I was talking to Mary about this yesterday, and I said, I, I'm sure Tate is just glad to be around someone his size. He can look <laughs> eye to eye. I mean, it's been, you know, everybody's been, you know, he's been the little guy for so long. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, um, you know, knowing him and his his uh, his his little sneaky grin, he'll be uh, winning hearts and minds with his, his, his teachers soon, I'm sure. Just like his dad. Well... Thank you, sir. We try. We try. What do you think, man, about um, we had we had some runoff elections here? Yeah, yeah. Big times on Saturday, Dallas City Council runoff elections. Uh, s- some changes coming. Obviously, we had we had some open seats and then we had some uh, some incumbents that were uh, found themselves in runoff elections. And uh you know, it'll be an interesting uh, new council. Um, congratulations to all the winners. Uh, we look forward to to visiting with all of them. But across the city, the voters have spoken, and uh, they, they have cast their, their ballots for the vision of what they want Dallas to look like. Uh, you know, two, two new female members of the council join. Um, I believe that's correct. I hope I haven't forgotten somebody. Uh, Janie Schultz in 11, Gay Donnell Willis in, in 13. Uh, Jesse Moreno down in two. Uh, uh, Jesse, of course, was uh, in a runoff with uh, Sana Syed. And so that was, uh, you know, that, that was a, a fun one to watch. 
Um, several others. There's a, the new representative in 14, Paul Ridley. Uh, he, he defeated incumbent David Blewett. Yeah, I think. And, um, you know, we had two members who will be returning uh, incumbents, Adam Bazadua. Yes. And Carolyn King Arnold, who we worked with uh, prior. And so, again, yeah. you know, like like you said, we're, we're looking forward to working uh, with our new council members across the city, you know, our firm worked with Leland Burke. And so uh, he and his folks did a great job and uh, glad to have worked there Alamedia wise. Um, also, our friend Sana Syed, who I used to work with at the city, uh, did a great job. But we are uh, the voters, as you said, have spoken. We are moving on for the next couple of years. Um, as everybody knows, our mayor has two more years on his term as well. So. Uh, council inaugurations will be, I believe, on the 14th coming up. I believe that's right. And, you know, Sean, we have a great uh, blue suit picture that I think we've used on some sort of early deconstructing Dallas, uh, uh, you know, uh, paraphernalia at some point. We look very, I don't know. Maybe from not the 20, was that from the 20, was that, what, was that 2019? Yeah. 2019. Yeah. June of 19, two years ago, probably two years ago this week. So, yeah, it was uh, the two. We had a really good one. And then we also had a really good photo with our colleague, Aaron Ragsdale, also looking like we were ready to do some business. Power suits, power boots. We were rocking, man. I hair was my hair was spiked. Your your head was clean. It was we were just on it, man. So it was clean. It has to be for a big event like that. And, you know, (laughs) council inauguration has. Always been uh, a really cool and fun day, especially for council members who it's their first time on council, you know, to to get to be on stage. And I, I think this year, maybe, I don't know, I, I feel like they may be having an event where family members maybe can come. I don't remember where they landed there, but I know it's not going to be like in past years where uh, we've been at uh, either a place like the Meyerson or the Windspear and had kind of all who wanted to come. It was a great place to see. I, I remember that was the first place I did meet Adam Bazabu was at in twenty nineteen at the Windspear. And you know, a lot of folks that you get to see doing what we do or who love the city usually make it out for the inauguration. So I do miss that, but hopefully down the road we'll be able to resume that great tradition. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, Sean. Um so again, congratulations to all the winners and all the hard fought battles out there. Um, we appreciate everybody for putting their name on the ballot and, uh, you know, wanting to be a part of making our city better. Speaking. Well, yeah. Uh, make it, speaking of, speaking <laughs> of making our city better. Wow. You are, are, are I mean, that's the, the, the hallmark of an award winning broadcaster. Yes. Right? That's what's called the segue to all our listeners out there. So uh, we have a great guest today, Sean. Yeah, we are really excited about, our guest, um, his name is Jerry Hawkins. He's the executive director of Dallas Truth, Racial Healing and Transformation. And um, for those of you who, like me, follow Jerry on Twitter, you know that he is a wealth of information about the city. And he is here. He's not here for your foolishness regarding racism. He's going to tell you how it is, as well as how he thinks it should be, which is why, you know, I really like following him and why. You know, we really wanted to get him on our podcast. So, you know, I'm really looking forward to this conversation coming up. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's going to be an interesting conversation, Sean. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. You know, it's 
um, I've, I've watched several of his his uh, his presentations on on YouTube and uh, read some of his work, and it's really interesting, you know, because I had something that we're going to get into in the interview. Uh, I had an experience over the weekend uh, regarding the term equity, and uh, I, I want to talk to Jerry about it, but. You know, it's it's interesting. It's it's such a it's become one of those buzzwords, and I, you know, my fault or maybe no fault of anybody's, but I just you know I've I've really tried to learn and listen on this word and, and educate myself on just what people mean because I, I feel like sometimes people hear the word equity and they want oh they you know you're just in here for equal outcomes. You you want everybody to have equal outcomes. You want us to spend money or what? And maybe that's inherently racist. I, I don't know. I don't know, Sean. But I, I want I want to do better. And, and um, if you wouldn't mind, you know, if if you don't think this is important work that we're doing, or if you think this is just like, oh, these guys are just cute, you know, black guy and a white guy talking about racism. This is nice. No, no, no. This is really critical stuff because this matters to our society, Sean. I mean, I, I'm reading this this ABC News article. You know, China is saying, oh, yeah, you guys think we have problems? The U.S. in 2020 saw its own epidemic situation go out of control, uh, accompanied by political disorder, inter-ethnic conflicts, and social division. We are getting hammered on the world stage because we can't get our house in order and deal with our problems. So everybody needs to get in line here and listen, you know, two ears, one mouth, and get in here and listen. Let's fix these problems with our uh, you know, with our, our racial issues that we're having. Well, we, we talked this morning and I'm sure, you know, we'll hear from Jerry, but, you know, these are, and these are issues that are centuries in the making. And, you know, I know I had a, a comment I left on to someone on Twitter who talked about, you know, we're having a inequality here or, or the system is being rigged or, and, and I said the system has been rigged for 400 years in America. And, you know, what we're trying to do is unrig a system that's been rigged from the beginning. And there are people who the system have been rigged for who, you know, have been fine with it. And now that we're trying to change it and make it more equal. Uh, so the word equality is hard for some people to fathom when the, the, that's not a, been an American uh, ideal from the beginning. And so, you know, this, these are tough, Issues, tough questions. They're most of the times they're not an answer, but a lot of times the answer is just listening and being empathetic to people who are experiencing things. And so I, you know, that's why I, I want to look to someone like Jerry who is doing this every day to tell me how I can be better. You know, I, I heard a really good, and maybe we'll have to at least point people to the clip. I heard a, a, a really good, um, comment from Cat Williams, comedian Cat Williams, who was talking about cancel culture and how cancel culture is not a thing, but people are trying to make it a thing. And uh, I've been searching for ways to talk to people about what people refer to as cancel culture. And, you know, listening to Cat Williams really helped me in that same way. You know, I've heard things from Jerry that have helped me, and I'm hoping to hear more from Jerry that helped me today, which is why I'm ready to share this with our listeners. So I've talked a lot. So let me just go ahead and take it to break now. Yeah, well, let me let me jump in and, and soapbox for just a minute. If you care about your city, your neighbor, your country, democracy, get in here and stay tuned. 
Take it away. Yeah, stay tuned. Listen to Jerry Hawkins, who's coming up right after the break. This is Sean Williams, Ryan Trimble. We'll be right back. Deconstructing Dallas, Ryan Trimble, Sean Williams. Sean, very excited to be joined today by our guest. He, of course, Jerry Hawkins, the Executive Director of Dallas Truth, Racial Healing, and Transformation. Jerry, welcome to the show. Thank you all for having me. How are you all doing? We're doing great. Uh, good, man. Thanks. Looks like it stopped raining, but uh, excited to uh, visit with you today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and where you're from? Yeah. Um Originally from the south side of Chicago, I've uh, lived in Dallas for 10 years, um, mostly in the Bachman Lake area, um, where I spent a lot of time and did a lot of work, including um, uh, co-managing the construction and design of a um, early childhood family center called Bachman Lake Together uh, Family Center. Um, but yeah, now living near uh, Deep Ellum. Very cool. Jerry, you know, your organization, your, your mission is to create a radically inclusive city by addressing race and racism through narrative change, relationship building, and equitable policy and practices. So this is obviously big work, important work, um, but where did you start and, and how are you doing so far? Yeah, so the Truth, Racial Healing, and Transformation Initiative is a uh, part of a 14-place initiative of the W.K. Kellogg Foundation built on the model of truth, uh, racial, um, truth and reconciliation commissions that happen in a lot of countries, including most famously South Africa after uh, ethnic conflicts or civil wars. And the goal is to uh, help the community heal through um, testimony through community forgiveness, through a lot of different ways of, you know, uh, living and, and, and learning together. The goal is to have the United States, which has never done a, a reconciliation um, process, uh, go through uh, a more uh, involved process of uh, expanding our history um, about building relationships between segregated communities and by really transforming our policies and practices when it comes to race and racism. Um, when we say radically inclusive city, but because this is everybody's work, uh, it's really important that is a multiracial uh, group that works on this. Um, we say race and racism because we have to name those problems very explicitly. And then um, narrative change um, relationship building and equitable policies and practices because that's the TRHT framework and it gives us a path forward to do the work. Yeah, it's it's, it's good. You know, J Jerry, I, I had a chance. I listened to several of your uh, presentations online. I, I especially got into the uh, language matters, the storytelling for racial justice piece. Um, I, I really think that's you know, super important, just how we talk about this stuff. But 
you know, one word that, that stuck out to me in a lot of your work is, is equity. And so I wanted to just guess your, you know, what you, what does equity mean to you and how, and then how does it differ from equality? Yeah. So equality, uh, in, in, in layman's terms just means sameness. Uh, if we talk about, uh, terms of like social welfare and community good, it means that everybody has the same opportunity uh, and starts at the same place. Um, when we talk about equity work, uh, especially when we talk about social justice, um, equity means that everybody doesn't start at the same place. Uh, some people actually start behind or um, have more barriers put in front of them than others, which means that we need different strategies um, that are not universal, that are not about sameness. We need targeted strategies, uh, strategies that really focus on helping uh, groups that have been historically um, excluded, people who have been um, dealing with oppression and all kind of uh, different barriers that stop us from uh, all being successful. Um, in Dallas TRHT, we work on a very specific type of equity, which is racial equity. Uh, we acknowledge that uh, race, especially according to research, is the largest predictor of how one fares in society, uh, particularly when you talk about zip codes or neighborhoods. Uh, and so it's really important for us to uh, locate race, to uh, isolate it, and to find out the historical connections to our contemporary problems and issues. Um, so we work on racial equity. Yeah, that, that's that's interesting, Jerry. So it brings up a, a, an interesting experience that I had over the weekend. You know, we have the Dallas City Council uh, runoff elections, and uh, I was I was contacted by an acquaintance that I've known for several years to, that asked me about my thoughts on a particular race, and, and so I gave my my thoughts, and and uh, uh, the person responded to me, you know, saying yes, but don't both of those candidates talk a lot about this equity stuff? And and I say this because you know that that may sound shocking to some, or maybe that's even uh, racist sentiment. I, I'm not sure, uh, you know, or racist in general. But it, this is the reality, and that the sentiment about uh, equity. Th this is where the conversation is currently. So I guess my question to you is: Why should people who maybe you know stop down when they hear the word equity? Why should they care about equity? And and, and you know, why should they care about opening up to this idea and the policies that you're striving for? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I think I want to start with, you know, just talk in pure economic terms. Um, having uh, racism in our society is costly. It is more expensive to have a segregated society. Um, when we talk about the, the ways in which we segregate people, uh, we can talk about uh, more police, right? If we need more police uh, because we have segregated communities, this also means a bigger police budget. Um, if we talk about prisons, it costs more to, uh, you know, imprison a person than it does to educate them. Um, because you have to have segregated communities, it also means that your, uh, your housing is going to cost more because you have to separate communities and build uh, barriers, natural and otherwise, to have them. So I, I, I can continue on the ways in which uh, like segregation and the issues of racism just cost more in our lives for everybody. Um, and the more we're segregated, the more expensive our lives are. Um, it's also a zero sum game 
um, to think that equity uh, will hurt you. Um, we are featured in uh, Heather McGee's new book, The Sum of Us, uh, What Racism Costs Us All. And what she talked about was how uh, in the past, people who uh, didn't believe in equity uh, and believed in separation of uh, racial groups uh, literally uh, would spike themselves in order to um, hurt another group. Uh, one of the examples was uh, what happened at Fair Park. Uh, um, at the, after um, the Hall of Negro Life, which was the only building torn down um, in the Texas Centennial uh, in Fair Park, which was a, a building dedicated to black life in Texas, um, there was a swimming pool built. Uh, and the swimming pool was only for uh, white uh, visitors of the swimming pool. Once uh, desegregation came and folks knew that black people can use that swimming pool, they filled it with concrete, which means that nobody could use the pool, right? So uh, again, the thinking of, of, of racism and inequity means that if you, if if I have to share this with you, nobody can use it, right? So it, it hurts us all. And, and the goal is to have people understand that um, living in segregation hurts us all. You literally can't, because of segregation, like um, easily visit other neighborhoods, right? Uh, and we should be able to explore all our city. You pay taxes for the for the entire city, so it's just it's just getting people to understand that this is a um, it's not a winning uh, plan for us to to be inequitable. And Jerry, even as you described that, obviously you told us that you moved here to Dallas from Chicago, but you're obviously a student of Dallas and the history. And there's a thought by some folks that Dallas didn't have a true civil rights movement, like cities maybe like Atlanta, Birmingham, even Kansas City. You know, I talk about inequalities here in our city being based in the lack of a public institution of higher education uh, for the city as a whole. That's known for, you know, for black folks. So, but can you talk about the history of race and racism in Dallas, kind of as you've studied it and how it does contribute contribute to race relations as, as Dallas today? Yeah, so, um, you know, there's a lot of myths um, about any given place, right? Um, if you visit a place, you understand like the myth making that happens. You know, if you go to Hollywood, you, you envision this like crazy place uh, you know, but it's all a myth, right? It's, it's built by people who develop a, a, a ethos of the city and a, um, they want folks to visit, right? Um, for Dallas, that doesn't really um, exist in the way we think it does. Dallas is a business model of a city. Um, it's probably one of the few postmodern cities that are, are here because it's literally built for people to go to work and go home and, and, and maybe uh, get a drink, uh, go shopping. Um, we've literally like, uh, what Michael Phillips, the uh, author of Right Metropolis, says created a laboratory of forgetfulness. Um, and what we mean by that is uh, we don't have any cultural enclaves here. I'm from Chicago, one of the most segregated cities in America. There are 77 communities and all of them are split up in ethnic enclaves, which means that like a, a very specific eth ethnicity or racial group has a contained town within a city. Right. Um, that doesn't happen in Dallas naturally. Um, we had things like Little Mexico and Freemanstown here, and those things have been erased for these cultural districts like the Arts District, Bishop Arts, uh, the Medical District, the Design District. And so what we have is um, what folks thought was a cultureless city, right? A, a city that uh, was only for a few people. And when they say Dallas as a whole, they didn't mean Dallas as everybody. Like 
not you black people, not you uh, Mexican people, not you, right? Uh, Dallas as a whole, what we think is best for Dallas. Um, Dallas has had uh, in a short amount of time, because Dallas is a very young city, everything that has happened in a major American city, native removal, some uh, removal and massacre of native people off the land, slavery in a very short amount of time, um, reconstruction, right? Uh, the Confederacy, um, but also like very concentrated uh, short times of those things, which included uh, things like um, D Magazine calling it uh, when Dallas was the race, the most racist city in America in the 1920s, because we had the largest uh, Klan membership uh, in the United States. One out of every three eligible men were part of the Klan. Um, and and some of those things still reverberate to to now. You know, we had one of the most famous lynchings in America happen here in 1910. Um, all of these things happen in Dallas in a very short amount of time. Um, and, and and the things that we don't talk about that Dallas was uh, the cotton capital of um, the world at one point. It was the largest inland cotton market in the world. You know, when we see the the Cotton Bowl. In Fair Park, we don't think about it much, but that literally is a um, a symbol of Dallas's uh, cash crop, which, uh, to be honest, uh, formerly enslaved people uh, really built a, um, a lot of wealth for people uh, in, in sharecropping. So um, it's, it's so many of those uncovered things that we need to explore, um, and they still exist um, in some some version today including things like the redlining policy, um, you know, separating people uh, by the river, uh, polluting the river, you know. Um, so there's so many things to, to, to talk about and cover. You're listening to Deconstructing Dallas, Ryan Trimble, Sean Williams. We are breaking it down with Jerry Hawkins. We're going to take a quick break. Be right back. Stick with us. Deconstructing Dallas, Sean Williams, Ryan Trimble. We are blessed to have Jerry Hawkins on with us today, Executive Director of Dallas Truth, Racial Healing, and Transformation. And Jerry, I wanted to pick up where we left off, really, um, because you wrote an article published in D Magazine following the murder of George Floyd uh, back last May, titled Death Around the Corner, Racism, Protest, and Living in Dallas During the Pandemic. In the article, which actually went over a number of the historical facts that you, you went over before the break, you said the city has to reckon with its racist past and, and present to get to the equitable future we all deserve to live in. So so looking forward, what do you see as a path to that type of future? Yeah. So part of, um, you know, reconciliation efforts um, and this and what we're doing is not a reconciliation effort. It's really a reckoning. Um is for some truths to be told about um, what we were, what we did, and who did it, um, and, and who it happened to. Um, 
And that's going to take a lot of um, really good, humane leadership. Um, I'll give an example of, of some of the work that has to be done. Um, so Ta-Nehisi Coates in the Atlantic magazine wrote an article called The Case for Reparations. And it wasn't about slavery. It was about housing policy. And in the housing policy, he talked about contract lending in Chicago. It's a very qualitative, uh, long, long essay. But um, the essay talked about how this policy really disenfranchised um, Black uh, people who wanted to be homeowners uh, because it was based on the federal redlining policy that happened in big cities and especially in Dallas that literally uh, said that white people can own homes uh, insured by the federal government and black people cannot own homes. We know after the wars that was home owning was the main wealth building strategy. So we literally cut off communities from building wealth uh, for, for decades, right? For almost a century now, right? Um, and so the social equity group at Duke, led by economist William uh, Darity, uh, literally quantified that essay, basically. They took a 20-year span from 1950 to 1970, and one Black neighborhood, uh, using that one Black policy, one, that anti-Black policy, and found out that the Black community lost three to four billion dollars of wealth, right? We don't know any of that, like, information or data from in Dallas. We don't know what harm, like economic harm, psychological harm, like a, a quantification of it that happened um, in Dallas, right? We don't know what, uh, how we can quantify the loss of like life during the Ku Klux Klan period. And we had the largest Klan uh, membership in the city, that any other city, you know? Uh, we don't know what uh, like redlining in the bombing campaign that happened in South Dallas uh, from 1929 and 1951. We don't know what like economic cost they had on the black community uh, here. So we have so much work to do. And, and that starts with ap apologies, acknowledgement, um, you know, working together and then, um, you know, repairing that harm. Yeah, th that brings me to my next question, Jerry. You know, I, I, you talk a lot about the, the policies that you want to you want to get out there as far as, you know, equitable policies. But if there was one one first step that we all could take, uh, you know, to get towards uh, something small, even to, to get started on the path towards these goals. What would that one thing be? Um, very small step. Uh, I would say read, you know, um, I am just surprised, um, you know, as I become a, like a historian of Dallas, that people even from Dallas don't know what happened here. Um, and I, and I see uh, with older people the pain that comes with. Um, and you should see in their eyes when I'm telling these stories, they like, I lived here all my life. I went to school here and nobody has told me this stuff. And um, I would say, you know, just like read and research where you are. Um, in all of our communities, there's a deep and uh, like yearning almost history that wants to like show itself. So um, you know, know where, know about your community, know, know about, um, you know, the house you live in, like, you know, it, it may be some history right there in the deed. Right. Um, and in the apartment complex, like who owns it, where is it from? You know, be, be a little bit more curious about the place that you live in. And I guarantee you, you'll be surprised. Jerry, I found some research recently. There's a study called Texas, Dallas and race. We talked to a thousand and one Texans about racism and 
while we were doing that research, uh, we came across another study which, you know, talked about young Republicans and especially Gen Z and millennials. And when asked, they believe that black people are not treated as fairly as white people in the United States. And when you compare that to Gen, to Gen X and baby boomer Republicans, there was a, bi- a big difference. And so even you're seeing a lot of changing attitudes in racism amongst younger generations. So in your work, I wanted to see what are you seeing about some of these attitudes around racism among younger people? Yeah, that's a great question, too. Um, what I found is um, like younger people are a little bit more uh, empathetic about their peers, um, which means that they are ready to like listen in a different way, um, especially if they're in relationship. Um, and I think that school districts have to do a better job of like putting um, students in relationship um, and not during the task oriented stuff that school has, but in relationship, because now they have an opportunity to see each other as humans. Um, that's part of the, like the relationship building uh, work that I, I do. I also found that it is uh, my job is very easier if we begin with history, use history as a foundation. Um, to then build uh, a poem work of like healing and also uh, policy making and, and practice making. Uh, because people don't deal with that truth, it is impossible to do equity work without doing history work. Uh, because you don't know what the inequity is. You don't know like the root cause of, of what you're trying to fix. There are people literally right now working on crime and poverty without knowing how that crime started or knowing how that uh, com- community became impoverished. Um, so it's it's really very difficult to do work without that historical foundation. And I believe that uh, that is also something that kids are like more apt to uh, latch on to and, and, and to or really like highlight, um, especially when they find out something. So I'm really excited about uh, our youth. Um, folks like Amber Sims, who is now the, the founding executive director of Young Leaders Strong City is doing that work. Well, Jerry, besides the deed to my house, what other uh, resources do you recommend people look at for uh, uh, historical knowledge where they can educate themselves? Yeah, so we're lucky to live in a city that has uh, one of the largest independent bookstore chains in the country, which is Half Price Books. And when I say like that is a, a asset to our community, uh, you literally get uh, very cheap books where you can find out about a place. They have a section called Texana, where you can literally look at uh, history about Texas. Um, And that has been my saving grace. I literally have uh, every book that was written about Dallas. um, I I own, you know, Um, and that has been really helpful for me in like finding my way around this place. Um, So that that's number one is, is we literally live in a place where half price books are in very you know, north, south, east, west, they're all over the place. Um, I would think second is uh, DallasTRHT.org. Um, we have uh, tons of video resources. Our YouTube page is linked with tons of uh, resources and documentaries about Dallas and Dallas-Fort uh, Worth. Uh, so check that out as well. And then there's so many community resources now that are being digitized. Uh, SMU and TCU have oral histories. Now, uh, the Texas Historical Commission has a great website called, um, you know, uh, Public Access Texas 
I'm on the Dallas County Historical Commission. We publish a newsletter every uh, quarter. Um, I wrote about uh, Pearl C. Anderson, who is uh, probably the one of the greatest philanthropists in Dallas history, uh, a black woman who uh, is literally responsible for the foundation of uh, Community Foundation of Texas. So um, there's there's tons of resources now, uh, much more than there were when I moved here. And uh, we're going to be producing more. I'm on the board of Deep Vellum Books, um, and we are releasing the accommodation again uh, for the first time in, in 30 plus years, which is one of the first books written about uh, race in Dallas uh, by Jim Shute. Well, Jerry, we, we really appreciate this time. And, and I know our listeners really appreciate you sharing. I think we're all going to be going down to half price books and try to get some of those other books before you do this too. But uh you know, if our, our listeners want to connect with you all at Dallas Truth, Racial Healing and Transformation, uh, tell them again how to do that. And also where they can find you on social media, because most of what I know about you, because you're a great follower on Twitter. So uh, please share some info with our audience. Yeah. So I'm on Twitter at uh, Jerry Leeds. Uh, you know, I love Twitter. Twitter is a great uh, medium for you to to really combat some of the disparaging messages around race and racism that happen on a daily basis. So uh, when, you know, uh, I'm active on Twitter, I'm really just uh, doing what my grad professors call is like intellectual warfare. It's like just fighting those negative messages that happen to us about race every day. Um, Dallas TRHT is very active on social media. So follow us at Dallas TRHT uh, on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. Um, we, we post um, a lot of uh, what our community is doing. Um, you know, if you want to contact us, that's a, that's a really good way. But also DallasTRHT.org. You can go to our website, sign up for our newsletter, um, check out our resources. We have a, um, a, a great uh, history uh, kind of booklet called A New Community Vision for Dallas. We're about to put out a new one. Um, so yeah, we're, 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 um, we're out here for sure. Well, uh, we appreciate you. And definitely, I'm telling you now, we want to have you back again. You'll come join us again. Awesome. We got a lot of stories to talk about. Dallas is, uh, you know, it's a lot of history. I learn something new every day, literally every day. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited to uh, be back. And thank you all for having me. Absolutely. That was Jerry Hawkins. This is Deconstructing Dallas. Ryan Trimble, Sean Williams. We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back. Deconstructing Dallas. Sean Williams, Ryan Trimble. Sean, really great conversation. Very big thanks to Jerry Hawkins for uh, sharing some time and, and uh, you know, just being real with us uh, and telling us about his work. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to following. I'm, I'm really inspired to follow more of Jerry's work. Go to the website, go to Half Price Books. Um, I know I can be better and do better. And thanks to Samantha Matthews, who had the idea for us to connect with Jerry also. Yeah, maybe we should get a commercial uh, or a sponsorship from Half Price Bookshop. 
not a bad idea. Not yes. a bad idea. Hey, before we get out of here, um, you know, the home team went down in game seven a few days ago. Luca Magic did not, um, was not able to overcome Kawhi and the Clippers. Kawhi Magic. So once again, you know, for 10 straight years now, Dallas has not made it out of the first round of playoffs. That's right. I, I don't know where we go from here, Sean, but hopefully we go, uh, you know, probably uh, retool just a bit, get a few pieces. Uh, probably could use uh, somebody who could fill it up from three-point land. Uh, but we will see. Well, we will see. Maybe we need to, um, you know, it sounds like a, a time to re engage with Coach Busick sometime soon to see her thoughts before the Mavs get kicked off yeah. next season. Yes, maybe we'll see her at a Walgreens. Um. <laughs> well, hey, man, uh, it's been great. We got a, a long way to go, uh, but we, we really appreciate Jerry Hawkins for joining us. Uh, I want to thank Samantha Matthews. I want to thank Michael Zavala for helping us put this episode together. As always, thanks to Jennifer, to Jennifer Pascal and Mary Woodley, the owners of Allen Media. Thanks to our entire Allen Media team. Um, thanks to everyone for a great May. May was our highest listener listenership month of the year so far. More downloads in May than any other month this year. So thank you for that, which means we need you to keep sharing this podcast. Tell everyone how great this episode has been. They can find it wherever they get their podcast. Deconstructing Dallas is there, so please share. And please leave us five stars. Give us a review. That would be awesome. So we really want to thank all of the folks who are following us on social media as well. You can find my co-host at rtrimble15, R-T-R-I-N-B-L-E-15. You can find me at Sean P. Williams, S-H-A-W-N, Stephen Patrick Williams on Twitter, on Instagram too, if you look. So for Ryan Trimble, this is Sean Williams, Deconstructing Dallas. Adios. <laughs>